Wake up. If Pay Me in Equity was a person, it would look like Leisha Bell. The queen of deal flow and dishing venture dollars is known in part for the brains behind the $535 million PayPal fund that was generously distributed to the black and brown owned businesses subsequent to the George Floyd hearing. Her extensive background as a capital allocator, AKA Tech Money Spinderella, includes Pipeline Angel, BLXVC, Black Girl Ventures, Pharrell's Black Ambition Fund, and Women of Color Capital Collective. And that's just a snippet of what she brings to her current role as a change maker for PayPal Ventures. Leisha Bell is the co-founder of BLXVC, an angel syndicate of moms mobilizing money for black and brown women entrepreneurs. She is the prior deal flow lead for Pipeline Angels, a network of women and femmes. And currently, she leads the Economic Opportunity Fund at PayPal Ventures. For more details, go to www.leishabell.com. Hi, I'm Himalaya Rao, and I'm the Managing Director of the BFM Fund. I am a venture capitalist, I'm a social worker, I'm a woman of color, and I'm a first-generation immigrant. All of these intersecting identities give me the ability and the passion to be able to bridge together different communities so that we can elevate different voices and decision makers. Apart from work, I also have a beautiful wife and two dogs who I'm obsessed with and I love to spend my time with. Thank you so much for having me today, Leisha. Hello and welcome to Sisters with Ventures the podcast where we amplify black and brown women who are angel investors. On this show, we will explore what is angel investing, how to become one, and why would you want to be one? We will discuss how the most marginalized women persevered to the very top of the investing spectrum. Whether you're making money moves or barely making money, listen up. I'm your host, Leisha Bell, co-founder of BLXVC, an angel syndicate run by Black and Latinx women who are on a mission to represent ourselves and claim our seats on cap tables. Stay tuned. Good morning. We are live from Los Angeles, California. You know that's my hometown, 213-323-310 represent. Uh, we are live from Blackbird Studio, Black woman-owned co-working space here in Culver City. And I am so excited to have Himalaya Rao on this show. Good afternoon, Himalaya. Hi, Leisha. It's so great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm so glad you're with us today. We are at the Blackbird. You just wrapped up a wonderful Women of Color and VC event, which we'll talk a little bit more. And it's just so magical here today. And so I'm so grateful that you are in town in the City of Angels to share your story. And I'm so happy to have you on the show. So why don't we kick off? I love to ask about your origin story. Can you please share with us who you are and your background? Sure, absolutely. So I am first and foremost a woman of color and second a first generation immigrant. I think it's important to stack those identities to be able to understand how I rank them, to understand what is important to me and my values. I was born in India. My parents are Indian. 
Um, and I came to this country first to the Bronx, and then we moved to Connecticut as I was uh, brought up. Um, and so being a first-generation immigrant really, really impacted my viewpoint and experience in the United States. And I went on to become a social worker and worked primarily in the Bronx in Hunts Point. Mm. My wife and I were, she was a, a school high school teacher and I was an elementary school social worker um, and we loved the work that we were doing. And we decided to figure out how to amplify the impact and to be able to really focus on proactive change rather than just be reactionary within a, a larger system. So before we get into your journey to venture, what can you tell us about working as a social worker in New York that really transformed your impact story? Yeah, absolutely. So being a school social worker in Hunts Point, for those of you who don't know, it's like the South Bronx of the South Bronx is what it's considered. Okay. And that's in that community. It's a pretty what's deemed as high risk. And I'm putting quotation marks around that because it's in one way to view it at that community, it's high risk because there's low literacy rates, low graduation rates, low socioeconomic status. So on paper, definitely I understand why people are deeming it high risk. But working in that community, being a part of the community, yeah. I started to see a totally different side. And that is people who are absolutely resilient. All of the things that like when I went to MBA school and I would learn from like Harvard Business Review, the top five qualities of a successful entrepreneur, right. all those qualities are in the community of Hunts Point. And that's what I saw. That's what I was around is when there's a lack of external resources pouring into a community, that community had to create the resources themselves. Right. And they were so good at that. And there were so many small business owners who were resilient, who were market efficient, who were capital efficient, who were customer centric. All of these qualities that we think and we associate with amazing entrepreneurs, but we would never call the people of Hans Point entrepreneurs, they themselves wouldn't call themselves founders. And so that was my experience. And that's what translated, honestly, my experience in Hunts Point is the reason I'm in venture capital is because I saw so much strength in that community. And I thought, what would happen if we flip the script on who gets to be the leaders of innovation and yeah. who gets to participate? That's great. So let's talk about your story to venture capital. Were you exposed? How were you exposed to VC? How did you decide to make a career leap into venture? Absolutely. So I didn't know anything about venture capital. You know, I remember coming home once and telling my mom, you know, like, I think I want to start a business. And she was like, okay, well, you know, stay in school, like, go get a good job. And, you know, maybe if you do a good job at that, you'll retire with yeah. money and then you can start a business. That's how I grew up. That's how my entire family grew up is mm -hmm. that is business ownership. Someone who does well in their life at like, you know, and is able to access a corporate job and then in retirement you know, through their successes or PhDs are able to start a business. And so, you know, like that's the way I moved through the world. That's the way I was when I was a social worker. And when I got an opportunity to go to MBA school and how I got into MBA school is that I started consulting. So I left being a school social worker because I felt like every year I was solving the same problems over and over again. And so I wanted to figure out what's the root cause of that. So then I started working at some of the nonprofits to be able to decrease recidivism. And then I started to work, like just consult with them of like, how do you make your organization more efficient and effective with the services? I started doing that and I thought, oh, this is consulting. Maybe I can get a consulting job. And someone told me, well, we can't hire you because you don't have an MBA. 
And for me, my whole life, I've been like, if you give me a reason why I can't do something, that's just like painting the road for me of what I need to do. So then I went to go get my MBA because I was like, okay, well, if you can't hire me, then I'll get an MBA. And it was through my MBA that my eyes were open because we started to read all of these articles about entrepreneurship as a career. And I had never heard of that. Like I had really only grown up thinking that's something you do at the end of your career in retirement. And for me, then I thought like, well, if an entrepreneur is someone who's just figuring it out and like learning as they go, I'm someone who's learning and go, like figuring it out as they go. And so my wife and I actually launched a company while we were in our MBA program. And someone asked me then like, hey, do you want to get venture capital money? And I was like, I don't know what that is. Like, is that a, is that a type of loan? Because in my mind, I thought the only way to get money into a business was you sell a product and you make money right. or you go to a bank and get a loan, right? Like, right. I think that like that was like very much for my first generation immigrant background is like I was not exposed to like lots of different things. Um, And that was also before Shark Tank. So it was like before like all of the romanticism around venture capital and like all the hype. And so um, they were like, you know, there's a fund associated with the university. Why don't you check it out? And I went there and I feel like all my life I've just been like going into places that I don't necessarily feel like I belong, that I don't know what I'm doing there. Mm-hmm. And I'm just trying to figure out the roadmap. So for me, I was just going there to figure out, like, I don't even know how these people are going to judge me. What is the grading rubric here? So I went yeah. into the room just to figure that out. And they said, like, hey, why don't you, like, join us and, like, let's go to an angel group and you can hear pitches. And I was like, great, because I don't know how to pitch. I don't even know what you want in a pitch. So I went there and that's when I saw this huge room full of people. First, I was the only woman of color. I was one of like four women, but the only woman of color. And then I sit in this room, founders pitch their ideas. And I had heard before I went to the pitch, like, you know, 85% of startups fail. So Himalaya, be discerning. And I was like, okay, I'm going to be discerning. I turned to the person next to me and I said, like, what did you think about this? And he was like, oh, it's okay. I might put $25,000 in. And I, I was like, what are you talking about? I'm a social worker. I've worked for the last 18 months to get $5,000 in a school spread out across 30 students. What do you mean you as a person are just going to put in 25,000? Like, where did you get that money from? And that was my first exposure to like, how very different worlds don't ever intersect. And for me, I felt like if those individuals could see the strength that I saw in the communities that I come from, how could we change the world and how could we change who we view as leaders and visionaries and innovators? So that's why I joined VC is to be able to bridge bridge that gap between those who have capital, those who make financial decisions, those who end up changing the landscape of our innovation and the companies that we see and those that don't even know what venture capital is or how that can help support them and elevate them as leaders. That's great. So tell us a little bit about your fund. Sure. Um, would love to know your fund thesis. Um, and, you know, where are you in your fund? How's it been building the fund as a woman of color? <laughs> would love all the juice. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. So um, the BFM Fund stands for Black Founders Matter. So as the name suggests, we prioritize black and innovative founders. 
We are looking for founders across the United States. We are industry agnostic. So my journey after that first room was I just felt like I don't know enough to do anything, right? And so I just like was so curious to figure out like how to do this. I ended up working at seven other venture funds and learned like a bunch of different models. I worked with other angel groups and then I ended up getting the opportunity to be a fund manager and setting up an economic development fund. And so I did that a couple of times and then I was like, okay, I think I have maybe some knowledge to be able to set up this fund. The fund's thesis is to invest in diversity. And that's really important to me because the whole time that I was working at all these other funds, I kind of had to like put the reason why I was wanting to do this, like, you know, I had to push it down. I remember someone was interviewing me and I was like telling them all these passions of why I want to be in BC. And they were like, okay, Himalaya, no one wants to hire a Bernie Sanders. So just like tone it down. But you seem like you know what you're like talking about a little bit, but like, you know, just tone that other part down. And so that's what I did. I like moved in these spaces and I like didn't tell the GPs like, I really want to invest in black and brown founders. I would just bring them black and brown founders and say like, okay, they happen to be black and brown, but let's like talk about all the ways in which you told me you want to invest and let me show you all all of the ways in which they are all these things. And like what I started to notice was I was able to change people's minds and I was able to meaningfully change their diversity profile. But because I was the one doing the convincing and they weren't really like looking at diversity as a strength. It was just like a, let's not talk about it. Let's talk about all these other things. There still wasn't like, they weren't able to invest in the strength of who those people were. And so for me, I felt like if I want, if I could start my own fund, if I could make diversity the base instead of just like sprinkling it on top or not even talking about it at all, we could actually move from saying like, yes, we are people of color, but, and instead move to we are people of color and that is like the source of our strength and the source of our success. And so that's really like the why of why we created this fund. I love it. I think, I think that's great. And I would love to talk about allyship from India, India origin, and you have a focus on black founders. Can you talk about why that is so important to you to support the community in this kind of way? Yeah, I get that question actually surprisingly a lot. I say surprisingly because I myself didn't question it before going in. And so let me like take a step back and tell you maybe why I never questioned it. Yeah. So being a first generation immigrant, I think that I'm not entrenched in some of like the social issues that people who are born and raised in this country generationally are. Yeah. Um, and so also coming here, I told you that we first moved to the Bronx, but then my family moved us to a small town in Connecticut and we were the first non-white family there. Yeah. And, um, Uh, My first childhood memory of interacting with my peers is them telling me that my skin looked like the color of poop and that they couldn't be friends with me. They couldn't talk to me because my skin was the color of poop. And it was over and over and over again. And then somewhere along the way, I think probably in like middle school, there was a Latino family that came and he was also told that his skin was the color of poop. And then when I was in high school, there were a couple black girls that joined and they were told that their their (laughs) skin was the color of poop. And for me, I felt like that early childhood memory of just being so isolated, so alone, and then seeing other people who were also going through that, it made me feel like discrimination does not discriminate amongst BIPOC communities. And so like for me, it was like, very much like it's us, right? Like it's the four of us, right? And um, we're having this shared experience. That plus at home, I 
I come from a very proud Indian heritage and lineage. And, you know, I, I won't generalize and say this is all of India, this is all of Indian culture, but what I was taught at home was to be Indian, to be a great Indian person, mm. is to unite against colonization. Mm. People in India are so proud that mm. they have fought against the British invasion and the ability for us as a collective people yeah. to unite against that movement. And for me, I think feeling both of those things, the way I was received yeah. as a woman of color, the way that I was taught that we need to unite against colonization, for me, it didn't make sense that only black people care about black wealth and black, like generational wealth, right? And black equity. It it didn't make sense to me that only Latino people would care about immigration reform, right? It's all of our problem. Mm -hmm. Black wealth creation should be something that is a concern to all of us. Mm -hmm. And so, and I feel it so deeply within me that yeah. it is my problem that yeah. there is a systemic wage gap that then leads to the lack of generational wealth by black individuals. It, it really like, it, it's at my core is that's how, I, that's what I believe in. And so much so that I've devoted my entire career to being able to close that gap in generational wealth building for black individuals, because I think that it is an issue that affects not only black people, but all of us. If we are not all capable of being able to be included in spaces where we can create innovative leadership, where we can all have access to generational wealth, then it, it doesn't make sense, right? Like we clearly colonization has led to the lack of access of generational wealth. Right. And for us to unite against that is me doing that. And so I, I think I never questioned it. Yeah. I will say that I think that it is absolutely valid for people to question um, because there's been a lot of co-opting in the black community, like outside of people who are not from the black community, taking something and then utilizing it as a platform to like do something. Yeah. I, I think I never thought of that because as a, as a person, I've never thought like I should be the face of anything. You know, like, I think that's the woman of color in me, right? Like, socialization of, like, don't take up too much space. I never thought I was using this to, like, elevate my career. Yeah. I'm doing this so that it goes back to the people of Hunt's Point, honestly. You know, yeah. and so, like, that is my whole reason. If I'm successful, that is what success looks like for me, is many more people, especially black individuals and black communities, can utilize entrepreneurship as a pathway for economic development, as a pathway for economic agency and more control over their lives and the ability to take all of that cultural richness and put it into entrepreneurship as a pathway for them and their strength to be included in that. So one thing I will say that I, I hope that anyone who listens to this hears yeah. is I don't think that I'm the face of black entrepreneurship. <laughs> I don't want to be. Yeah. And yeah. if you are listening to this and you think like, hey, it should be you instead of me, great. Yeah. I want you to run a venture capital fund focused on black entrepreneurs. I wholeheartedly at my core believe that if you invest in black founders, you invest in de-risked entrepreneurs who have already shown that they can do the most with little. So if you pour on that fuel with access to resource and capital, you will have so much more in terms of a return. So 
I don't want to be the only Black-focused fund. I would like to co-invest with anyone else who runs a Black-focused fund because we should all be running Black-focused funds. Yeah, no, I think it's great. Um, so I will share as a person in tech who was the only non-Indian, non-male in most of my career growing up, um, I didn't sense community. I did not with other brown individuals in tech. And the outcomes are not equal. Um, Asian, which we include Indian Asian, are the wealthiest immigrants that we have in this country. And so the disparities aren't equal. And so I think it is important, as I've had many Indian male managers who had to stand up for me, who had to advocate for me so that I could be seen in this space. I think it's so important that um, we have this allyship and focus be, because our outcomes aren't the same, right? Um, when people we see an Indian male, they engineer. <laughs> you know, that's kind of this default bias of, you know, the IIT, right? Like, that's well known, right? And when we see black people, we don't say, oh, he's an engineer, <laughs> right? It, it's, it, you know, even though we have the same potential to be great, right, is that access, right? Is that putting that spotlight? And you, even as a woman of color, which is, comes with its own challenges, right? You're divesting what privilege you may have to amplify other voices. And I think that's also extremely important and extremely appreciated in the context of how we're all building, right? If we could take everybody at the bottom and bring them up, we're all better, right? And like, you wouldn't have to worry about crime if everybody had access to something, right, in community. And so that is so important in the conversation. And I want us to have these conversations, right? I, you know, black and white communities, black and Asian communities, East Asian, we all have these different stories, but we're all connected and we're kindred. The immigrant stories, right? It's not just about Latinos, right? Like, that's a misnomer. It's a myth, right? Anybody who migrates to this country and has to adapt or assimilate or take away something that they came with is um, very depriving, right? And so I love um, what you're focusing on. So Himalaya, you've talked about really seeing yourself and how that is really fueled by being a woman of color. I would love for you to expand a little bit more on what that means for you. Absolutely. So actually the first thing that came to my mind was uh, the new Queen Charlotte series, right? The, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, with Shonda Rhimes, it. right? If you haven't seen it, go watch it. Please. It's phenomenal. And there's a scene there where Lady Danbury... Um, you know, creates this whole party. Her husband wants to do it. She's the one that, like, puts it, the seed in everyone's head and, like, really creates it. And at the end, it's a huge success. And she goes, we're a success. And he goes, I'm a success. Mm. And I think that scene was so powerfully moving for me because that's what it feels like to be a woman of color mm. is you, and that's what it's felt like for me, right, is, like, you are brought up to breathe someone else's air yeah. to lift them up mm -hmm. and that is what your entire life is is it and it's steeped within the culture is like as a woman of color as a good woman of color yeah. you should be lifting someone else up right. and being quiet and silent and making sure that all of your actions are to help someone else be successful and i think that's played a huge role in my life yeah. and I've had to do a lot of unlearning myself I think that me being married to a woman has significantly helped in that process <laughs> to feel that support yeah. and be supported at the same time yeah. I don't think I would be as successful today if I had not married a woman yeah. um, and I really try to pave that forward for other women you know 
my fund um, is not just my fund, it's our fund, it's the whole team's fund. And we try to prioritize a collective vision and we hire um, all women of color into the fund so that there's a space where women can just exist, especially women of color can just exist and where they can bring their own creativity and shine. And so all of the different people who work at our fund um, actually don't have very little direction. They come in and they're able to bring in their own strength and their own culture. And being a woman of color, I already know that they're gonna be successful because they've had to do so much elsewhere. Um, and so they're able to bring that to the fund and lead it in their own direction. And I couldn't be happier or prouder of the outcomes that we've had than by looking at the team. Um, it just like, we are reshaping the narrative of what being a woman of color can look like. We don't have to live and breathe for someone else. Right. We can live and breathe for ourselves and invite other women of color into our circle. That's great. What founders are you excited about um, that you recently invested in? Yeah, so um, several companies, of course, you know, all of our companies are amazing, right? Um, and we invest in them because we see the brilliance leaking through all of the things that they do. Um, and so one such company is Year One, um, and it's led by Stephen Ajayi. Um, and also in my portfolio, too. So <laughs> oh, amazing, yes. We are we are so, so excited and feel so lucky to be yeah. part of their journey. Um, they actually help. So one of the things that they noticed was a lot of engineers are moving from traditional four-year colleges, and I'm, I'm saying things that you already know, Alicia, right? But for the audience here, audience. Um, you know, Know, the the year one platform is helping one um, a lot of people are moving to coding boot camps to be able to enter right. the engineering field right but what they noticed was um, you know in in, in four-year traditional colleges there's career services maybe there's alumni whereas with coding boot camps there's none of that right it's just like right. training now go get a job right and whenever that happens and we see that even in venture capital even when, when that sure. happens um, those that came in with network, now take that knowledge, their network, to get a job. But those that didn't have a network, how do they take that knowledge and then apply that if they can't get a job? And so one, they were really helping with the recruitment part of that. And their model, right, their their name is called Year One, is a lot of us who are diverse know and feel that even when we get into positions in organizations, there's not, maybe we're the first, maybe we're the only, and we feel really alienated and there's, the organization doesn't have an ability to support diverse talent. So year one is also on a mission to be able to figure out how do we accelerate diverse talent and underrepresented talent in engineering to be able to actually convert into promotional tracks and retain them within that first year. Yeah, I love that. And I Recall one of the founders, I think he was an architect, but he simply doubled his salary just by going to a coding boot camp and learning how to code, right? So it's really access to high-income earning jobs, uh, which is so important. I love the work that they do. Um, so I think our time is wrapping up really fast, and I would love for you to tell me what you would have told your younger self. Mm. This is a tough one. But I think what I would tell my younger self is to not be afraid and not be defined by the way that others see you. Yeah. I yeah. think so much of my life I have felt small. I've been told I'm small. Yeah. And I have 
closed myself off to not feel that smallness, right? And even when I venture out and I'm like, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a venture fund, I'm gonna do this, I always feel that smallness in everything I do. Yeah. And I think actually doing this fund helped me because I thought if I can see the strength and brilliance in other people who are and the strength and brilliance of their li- different lived experience, their cultural nuances, all of the things that are different and bring that to the table. If I see that as a strength in them, why don't I see that in myself? Right. And I think actually this fund has been really healing for me mm. to be able to uplift others and in turn be able to turn that on myself and say, you are also great because you're different. You are great right. because you're a woman of color, because you're an immigrant. And those are things you don't need to shy away from. And just because other people made you feel small and like you don't belong, that is them, right? And they're right. going through their own journey. And maybe right. that's their own trauma-informed responses or other issues, right? But you as yourself can be big because you have value. And so I think that's what I would say is, um, right. yeah, to to not be defined by what others say. Like, how do you define yourself? And what what is something that only you can bring to the world? And how do you pursue that? I love that. I love that. Himalaya Rao, you're a woman. You're a woman of color. Queer. You're a fund manager. GP. Venture capitalist. So many titles. You have really inspired, I'm sure, so many women listening to this story today with your story of advocacy, allyship, building community, uh, the change you want to see in the world. Uh, and that's what we love to amplify on Sisters with Ventures. So we're so glad to have you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Leisha. I appreciate it. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show. Please subscribe, tell a friend, check us out, let the world know. You can find out more information about this podcast at LeishaBell.com. And remember, be an angel, invest.